Our reading this morning is from All About Love by Bell Hooks. Awakening to love can happen only as we let go of our obsession with power and dom domination. Culturally, all spheres of American life, politics, religion, the workplace, domestic households, intimate relations, should and could have as their foundation a love ethic. The underlying values of a culture and its ethics shape and inform the way we speak and act. A love ethic presupposes that everyone has the right to be free, to live fully and well. To bring a love ethic to every dimension of our lives, our society would need to embrace change. To live our lives based on the principles of a love ethic, we have to be courageous. Learning how to face our fears is one way we embrace love. Our fear may not go away, but it will not stand in the way. Those of us who have already chosen to embrace a love ethic, allowing it to govern and inform how we think and act, know that when we let our light shine, we draw to us and are drawn to other bearers of light. We are not alone. Revolution and grit. When I first read these words in response to my inquiry about your monthly worship for March, I stopped in my tracks. Uh-oh, I thought. Maybe I'm not the right preacher for this theme. The revolution part, yes, absolutely, count me in. But grit? At the risk of too much honesty, I'll admit that I've never thought of myself as a particularly gritty person. And it might all go back to when I was learning to ride my bike. We heard that in our story this morning, that one of the things that requires grit, especially when we're young, is learning to ride our new two-wheeler. So when I think of grit, I almost always have the same visceral reaction. Quite vividly, the feeling of falling off my bike when I was a little kid comes to me. I remember the sense of helpless disequilibrium as I let loose a shriek, what my mom called my trademark blood-curdling shriek. After hitting the sidewalk, palms first, followed by an elbow and a knee or two, I would lay on the ground with my arms splayed out in front of me and my feet still tangled in the bars of my brand new bike. The one I had so longed for with the yellow banana seat and the orange flower decals. After the initial shock of falling, I felt the, the sting rising on the scraped surfaces of my tender skin, inspiring another shriek. Next, the heat of embarrassment flushing my cheeks, the streams of hot tears spilling from my eyes. After freeing myself from the bike I now loathed, I'd run home wailing all the way. Crashing through the screen door, I delivered myself to my mother in the kitchen so she could inspect the shredded skin on my hands, see them pocked with little droplets of crimson blood, 
and embedded on the surface of the skin were small grains of gravel from the sidewalk. Grit. <laughs> my neighbor Patrick was two years my junior and already he could ride his bike up and down and all around the block. He could ride circles around me. When he was learning and still prone to falls, Patrick jumped up in a flash. He brushed the gravel from his hands and his knees and hopped right back on again. Grit. When we're six years old, learning to ride a bike is a tough business. We need to be able to overcome the wobbles and the falls, the scraped knees and bloody palms. We need to be able to get back on the banana seat again and again and again. We need grit. Psychologist Angela Duckworth is the leading thinker and researcher exploring the concept of grit, and I learned of her work through the materials you put together for your worship theme. Duckworth defines grit as the disposition to pursue very long-term goals with passion and perseverance sustained over time. By this definition, my childhood neighbor, Patrick, appears to have grit. I do not, at least when it comes to bike riding. After cleaning my scrapes and wiping my tears, my mother would retrieve my bike from the crash site and stow it in the garage where it would remain for weeks on end. Eventually, I did learn to keep myself upright on two wheels, but I never really mastered bicycling. To this day, I am tentative. Does that mean I lack the disposition of grit? Is grit something we're born with, or do we learn it? Can we learn it? Or might both be true? Can we build grit like we build our muscles through training and practice? Are certain environmental conditions more conducive to grit these are questions that Duckworth is exploring in her research, and I care about the answers because, as I mentioned earlier, I want in on the revolution. Your worship theme opens up the idea that revolutions of all kinds, whether political, cultural, or personal, require grit. Revolutionary change entails upheavals, trials, sacrifices, injuries, and losses of significant proportion, and they are not one in a day. To affect revolutionary change, we need to be able to endure these hardships and nevertheless persist for the long haul. Revolution is a tough business. We need grit. So how do we get it, build it, and practice it? Angela Duckworth's research provides an important insight here. One of the key drivers of grit that her research identifies is valuing the goal. Gritty people are passionate because they deeply value the end they are trying to reach. 
Gritty people care a lot, and that passion drives their perseverance. Maybe I don't have grit when it comes to bicycling, because I just don't care all that much about it. I'm more of a walker, a jogger, a hiker. Maybe I do have the capacity for grit when it comes to what I most deeply value. Maybe we all do. For me, that is ministry. That is the vision of our Unitarian Universalist faith. That is a world remade in the image of love. It seems to me that church is an ideal place for cultivating grit. Here and together in religious community, we name our most cherished values, the values that we are passionate about. We name belonging, liberation, freedom, justice, and equality. We name abundance, joy, and compassion. We name beauty and truth. We name community, connection. We name love. We name these values and we invite each other to care about them passionately. In religious community, we envision together the world made anew according to our values. In religious community, we invite each other not only to care, but to practice our values in the world as it is so that one day it will become the world as we desire it to be. This is the revolution I want in on. In our reading this morning, Bell Hooks describes this revolution as an awakening to love. She invokes a new culture where everyone has the right to be free, to live fully and well, a culture built on the foundation of a love ethic in place of our existing culture of power and domination built on an ethic of competition. Unitarian Universalists care about the love revolution, and that's why I cast my lot here 10 years ago, because I want in on the revolution and I need to practice grit. Maybe that's why some of you are here too. So this has got me wondering about what grit looks like in the love revolution. What does it really mean to be gritty in the service of love? And just as I was wondering, driving along in my car, as is often the case, the universe served up an answer. It came via my car radio, NPR, and a rebroadcast of an old episode of This American Life called Unconditional Love. Loving someone no matter what. That takes grit. In act one of the episode, journalist Alex Spiegel shares the story of a family, Heidi and Rick Solomon and their son Daniel. When Daniel was seven years old, Heidi and Rick adopted him and brought him from the orphanage in Romania where he had lived since infancy to their home in suburban Ohio. 
Nothing in Daniel's previous experience could have prepared him for the intimacy of family life. Here's how Alex Spiegel describes Daniel's early childhood. During the day, one set of adults would feed and clean Daniel and the other hundred or so orphans who lived in the same room. During the night, there was a graveyard crew. But even though Daniel was there for seven and a half years, he can't tell you the name of any of the adults who took care of him. He didn't know any of them well enough. He also can't tell you much about how he passed the time, what he thought about. He didn't go to school. He didn't go outside. Given his dramatic changes in circumstance, it's not surprising that Daniel struggled to adapt to his radically new environment. His behavior deteriorated, and he spent hours every day in tantrums of rage, often becoming violent, especially towards Heidi. The family called upon experts of all stripes, social workers, psychiatrists, therapists, and soon Daniel was diagnosed with attachment disorder. None of the many therapies they tried took, and Daniel only grew more angry, isolated, and violent. Heidi's biggest worry was that Daniel would hurt someone else. But through it all, Heidi persisted. She remained faithful to the possibility that Daniel could live fully and well with joy, connection, and loving support. This is the value that fueled Heidi's passion, the conviction that her son could and should have a better life, a good life. When strategy after strategy failed, Heidi relentlessly pursued new options until she found more specialized programs for attachment disorder. After years of trying, a strategy called the Three Feet Plan offered a glimmer of hope, three feet meaning in distance. For eight weeks, Heidi and Daniel spent their waking hours side by side, no more than three feet apart. For eight weeks, Heidi, um, and this was in an effort to recreate the bond of an attachment an infant makes with their primary caregiver, the bond that eluded Daniel in the orphanage. About three weeks into the program, Daniel recalls that something just changed. The realization dawned on him that his mother loved him. In addition to the three-feet plan, the family participated in what is known as holding therapy. Spiegel says, every night for a year, 20 minutes a night, Daniel, Heidi, and Rick were supposed to hold on to each other and talk, Rick and Heidi cradling Daniel like a newborn child. At this point, Daniel was 13 and really big. When Heidi and Rick cradled him, Daniel's torso spanned both of their laps. Daniel admits that it felt weird, but he liked the ice cream they ployed him with. <laughs> and eventually, during these sessions, in the radical embrace of his gritty parents, 
Daniel was able to open up about his feelings and his experiences in the orphanage. Daniel began to transform in ways small and large, helping around the house, making friends his own age, and even earning the valedictorian award in his confirmation class at the family's synagogue. I share this story not to idealize one family's journey. Plenty of families struggle just as valiantly as Heidi, Rick, and Daniel without arriving at the same kind of transformation. I share it, though, because for me, it offers a compelling image of the kind of grit I think we need to support revolutions of love in all facets of life, from family to community to society. The story offers an image of radical embrace of people holding on to each other no matter what. Hold on just a little bit longer, the, our call to prayer this morning. When learning to ride a bike, the grit we need is the kind that compels us to wipe the gravel from our hands and knees, hop back on the seat, clench the handlebars, and just keep pedaling. When working to build communities and cultures centered on love and inclusion, the grit we need is the kind that compels us to reach out to each other and hold on at all costs. It compels us to reach out and hold on when we are the ones hurting and when we are the ones who have caused the hurt. It compels us to reach out and hold on when we've let each other down and when we're afraid we are not worthy or capable. The grit we need is the kind that compels us to reach out and hold on in joy and sadness in triumph and failure, in oppression and privilege, in need and generosity, in anger and forgiveness. To live lives based on the principles of a love ethic, Bell Hooks writes, we have to be courageous. She goes on, those of us who have already chosen to embrace a love ethic allowing it to govern and inform how we think and act, we know that when we let our light shine, we draw to us and are drawn in by other bearers of light. We are not alone. When we come together, when we hold on to each other, there is more light, there is more courage, there is more grit. At the end of her story about the Solomon family, Alex Spiegel concludes that love is a tough business. It takes courage and passion and tenacity. It takes grit. Whether you are uncertainly gritty like me or tenaciously gritty like my neighbor Patrick and Daniel's mother Heidi, I believe you have come to the right place. We are all bearers of light, 
called together by our shared faith to embrace a love ethic. Here in this religious community and in our broader faith family, we have come to practice thinking and acting according to the ways of love. Here we have come to practice grit in pursuit of a love revolution. Here we have come to practice radical holding on as if all of our lives depend on it, because they do. Amen and blessed be.